0: Mothers are told to kill their newborn children. That's ridiculous. Well, one mother decided to save her son. Very interesting. We'll talk about that and more. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry And I'm James. And this is Bible Discovery TV. Listen carefully, this is a good day to read the Bible. We're gonna study that in about three minutes. But first of all, it's important to remember that Corey is here, Corey.
1: Well, we are going to be talking about the Exodus today, but specifically when uh, in history, in our historical timeline, would the Exodus have actually taken place? Ryan?
2: Well, today my segment focuses on one of the most talked about passages in the whole Bible, the famous burning bush passage in Exodus
0: chapter 3. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting passage because, you know, God says, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Like, come on, Moses. Very interesting. Janice?
3: Circumstances were very bad.
0: All right. So take your Bible guide out in your Bible, the most important book of all, and let's listen to what God is saying to us.
3: Exodus 2, 1 through 10. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children." Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Exodus chapter two, verses one through 10.
0: Exodus one, Exodus two, and Exodus three. This is a fascinating read as we begin the second book of the Bible and we understand it today. Turn your Bible guide to this passage and open up your Bible to Exodus 2. God created mankind in his own image, male and female, he created them, Genesis 127. But you know, there's no question about it. Women are uniquely gifted by God to care for children and to keep them safe. That is precisely what happens 400 years after Joseph, a special baby boy was born born to a woman named Jochebed during a terrible time in Egypt's history. He, Exodus chapter 6 verse 20 tells you that story. Pharaoh decreed that every newborn baby should be thrown into the river Nile and killed. Well, when Jochebed could no longer hide her son, she placed him in a little waterproofed ark and set it by the riverbank among the edge of the reeds. And she sent her daughter, Miriam, to watch what would happen from afar. Well, the baby was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, his own daughter, who named the baby Moses. And she ordered Moses, brave sister, to find someone to nurse the child. Jochebed not only got to care for her beloved son, but she paid, was paid by Pharaoh to nurse him. Now, these three heroes... Jochebed, Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter, as well as Shethira and Puah, the Hebrew midwives, are truly remarkable women heroes of the Bible. And there are many female heroes in the Bible. Let me tell you, it is a great story. And uh, as we begin this journey through the life of Moses, it is fascinating. Today, the child Moses, meaning drawn from the water, that's what it means, Exodus chapter 2, And take your Bible guide out. If you don't have one, why not? Call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on it. It'll take you to a donate page. And I would say thank you for your donations. Really appreciate them. And I would say that it takes you to another page. You can download it and uh, take the PDF file, open it up and you're good to go. It's a good file. You're good to go. Printed just like, it looks just like it's printed. Okay. Father, I pray today as we open up the story of the life of Moses, that you would show us your ways and teach us your paths. Help us to hear you, Lord. And we thank you, Father. We want to read from the Bible, not into the Bible, but let the Bible change our hearts and our lives. So help us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we focus on Exodus chapter two, we look at the first verse and it's very interesting a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him and daubed it with asphalt and pitch. And the child in it, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river bank and his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, but Jochebed knew how to protect her son, Moses. God had provided protection for children, and we are accountable to him for our treatment of them. I want to remind you of something very important. In Matthew chapter 18, God says, as he brings the child in front of him, when they ask him the question, who is the greatest, Lord? His disciples ask the question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? He takes a child and he puts a child in front of him and said, such is the child. That's how you have to be to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's fascinating because in Hebrews, it tells us that we don't need to be a child in the Bible. We need to mature ourselves in the word of God. Well, this is important because God's word matures us and the mothers in this world do the same. Keep keep that in the back of your mind as we focus on Genesis 2 verse 5. It says, then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. This, what a story. So let me get this straight. His mother comes. His mother comes to take care of him and feed him. And she's being paid by Pharaoh's daughter. What in the world is that? That's God. God is making a way where there is no way. Now, we don't have time to talk about Aaron, who is the son and the brother of Moses who came. And somehow they protected him because we don't know how long this killing of the firstborn carried on. But it's important to hear how God preserves and God saves as he does today. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now we go to the next scripture, which is absolutely fascinating. Exodus 2 verse 9. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and the woman nursed him and the child grew and as she brought him to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, and then he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. Now, this is really important. Listen carefully. God had his good hand on Moses from the day he was conceived. God had his good hand on Moses from the day he was conceived. See, God's plan for every human being is unique and protective. And God has his hand on us. Now, Many of us run away from God. Many of us go flying here and doing our own thing and flying. But when we come to Jesus Christ and we begin to understand that we are called to be his servants and we get a hold of that and the Holy Spirit changes our life, then things begin to shift in our thinking. Things begin to shift. Now, if you're at the place where you're done, where life has just used you, God didn't use you, life did. God didn't cast all kinds of problems on you. Those are your decisions. And those are decisions of others. Beloved, the Lord will protect us and help us. But we need to come back to the Lord. Come back to Jesus Christ today. And say, Father, I need to be rescued and saved like Moses was saved out of the water. I need to get out of the place where I can drown. I don't need to drown. I need to be alive again. And help me, Lord. Come into my heart. I need you today. I need deliverance from these drugs. I need deliverance from this alcohol. I need deliverance from all of these things, these relationships and all of this. Help me today, Father, in Jesus name. And I believe that you died on the cross to pay the cost of sin and that you were raised again by God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and that you came, paid the cost and lived. And now I invite you into my life. Be the Lord of my life today, in Jesus' name, amen.
2: Welcome back to the program. Today, to go along with our reading, I want to focus on Exodus chapter three, in which God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush. Now, as you can imagine, this passage has gotten a lot of attention over the years by many pastors, Bible scholars, and commentators. But did you know that one of the earliest interpreters of this passage was Jesus Christ himself? In Matthew 22, the Sadducees challenged Jesus on the biblical doctrine of resurrection. And, in response, Jesus points to this very passage that we read today. Check it out. At the turn of history, when Jesus Christ walked this earth, there were four different Jewish factions— the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. Of these, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the ones who regularly opposed the teachings of Jesus. As a matter of fact, just after the Lord cleansed the temple for a second time, the Sadducees challenged him on the biblical doctrine of resurrection. Unlike the Pharisees who believed in the authority of the Tanakh, the Sadducees only accepted the first five books of Moses as scripture. And since there were no apparent examples of life after death in the Pentateuch, they rejected the idea of bodily resurrection. This is why they decided to publicly challenge Jesus to a theological debate on this issue. And they begin by pointing to Moses' command in Deuteronomy 25.5 regarding Leveret marriage, which says that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. The Sadducees then proceed to tell Jesus about seven brothers. The first died after he had married, they explained, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of these seven will she be? For they all had her. To be sure, the Sadducees had concocted this story only as a means to mock the idea of life after the grave. But Jesus wasn't the least bit befuddled. You are mistaken, he said, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. The Lord here, in the same breath, was correcting not just one, but two of their errors. First regarding the resurrection of the dead, but second regarding the existence of angels. According to Acts 23.8, Sadducees did not believe in angels or spirits, and so by comparing the resurrection bodies of humans with angels, Jesus was effectively plucking two weeds with one pole. But then he returns to the main concern of the debate. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, he continues, have you not read what was spoken to you by God through Moses, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. As Jesus full well knew, the Sadducees would not accept his words or any words outside of the five books of Moses as authoritative, which is precisely why he ends off by quoting Exodus 3.6, which indisputably confirms that there is indeed a resurrection for God's own. And if there was any question of whom the victor of this debate was, the reaction of the people says it all. The Sadducees were silenced and the crowd was astonished. Now, to be sure, there is a lot of great Bible commentaries out there, but the truth is nothing can compare with the commentary our Lord Jesus gives. As a matter of fact, when any of the Holy Spirit-inspired authors of the Bible interpret other biblical passages, we need to accept those interpretations as divine and authoritative. One of the very first rules of Bible study is interpreting Scripture with Scripture. Yes, there are a lot of good Bible commentaries, as I said, but none of them are totally without error only scripture can hold to that perfect standard. It's very, very important to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, it's important to remember. And and we use two or three witnesses because that's what the Bible uses when talking about establishing something that nobody is convicted without two or three witnesses. We see that in the Old Testament Mm -hmm. as well. So it's very good. That is excellent. Corey?
1: All right. Well, we're jumping into that thorny question of when was the Exodus obvious. Obviously this really impacts uh, people when they are trying to look for the Egyptian Pharaoh that was a part of the Exodus, the Egyptian Pharaoh that uh, was a part of the Joseph, you know, a whole scandal uh, because the Bible does not name these pharaohs, these kings of Egypt it just leaves it at Pharaoh. So when you're trying to um, find out where in Egyptian history this could happen, obviously the actual dating of the exodus matters quite a bit. And the Bible surprisingly does have quite a bit to say on when this happened. So let's jump into it. The question of the timing of the Exodus is an important one. If timed incorrectly, then scholars will be looking for evidence in the wrong time period. And this is what has happened. Many scholars time the Exodus in the 13th century BC with the famous Pharaoh Ramses II. The problems with the 13th century exodus abound. It struggles against the biblical evidence. It's trying to solve a biblical problem by not taking the Bible into account. A surefire way to fail. And fail it has. The 13th century exodus dating is why many scholars today say that there's no evidence for it, and it's therefore mythological. But what does the Bible actually say? In 1 Kings 6, the Bible dates the building of Solomon's temple to his fourth year as king and the 480th year after the Exodus. By using 967 BC for Solomon's fourth year, the year 1446 BC is given for the Exodus. Proponents of the 13th century Exodus date claim that the 480 years in 1 Kings 6 is symbolic and should instead be taken as 12 generations of people times the biblical idealization of a generation, 40 years. But since a generation is really about 25 years, they multiply 12 by 25 and arrive at a 300-year gap between Exodus and Solomon. This discounts, however, the genealogical data of 1 Chronicles 6, which lists 19 generations between Exodus and Solomon. Judges 11 also gives an approximate date. The Israelites had been living in the Promised Land for about 300 years when the Ammonite oppression began. We only have an approximate date for the Ammonite oppression of around 1100 B.C. Adding 300 years to this still gets us to 1400 B.C. for the conquest and then 1440 for the exodus. Still more evidence arrives from the Jubilee year cycle. Ezekiel 40 gives precise numbers for dating the 17th cycle. By counting back 17 cycles of 49 years, you arrive at the first Jubilee celebrated on entrance to the promised land with a date of 1406 BC, adding 40 years for the wilderness, and you have 1446 BC for the exodus. Now, almost unlike any other event in Israelite history, the Exodus is extremely important. It's foundational so many times in the Old Testament, as you'll be reading, the the, uh, Exodus event is used as the reason why Israel is in a covenant relationship with God in the first place. The identity of God becomes tied to, I am the one who saved you out of Egypt. I am the one who brought you out of slavery. So this this event being historic is a pretty big deal uh, because God uses it as a historical event. So uh, that's something to keep in mind when we're trying to ascertain the date here.
0: Okay, and I think it's important to reiterate and to come back and visit this because the Bible is historical, and it... Uh, when, when, yeah, the, the elements in mm-hmm. the Bible happened in history, and mm-hmm. so God, you know, our. Faith is rooted in history. It's not rooted in make believe, make believe, make believe. It's rooted in history. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ rose again. I mean, that's the facts.
1: Yeah. And and there is still a lot of uh, scholarship going on when it relates to the Exodus. uh, You know, I feel like probably ninety percent of the scholarly community—I'm just pulling that number out of there—but most of them have given up on the Exodus. They think that you know, there's no way that we could ever know. There's no way. But there are some scholars really pushing into this area right now uh, because they believe that there is good evidence and it and it can be found. So it's going to be, I think, a really exciting you know future that we have in Exodus studies. And
0: I think that you know to to remember that. That the scholarship that uh, is just sort of dismissed the idea of finding out and all of that is really that's part of the culture that we live in today. But when people get into this and they really focus on it, they begin to push it and uh, get the answers, then it becomes very fascinating because yeah. it's shown. That's amazing. All right. Very good. Janice?
3: Maybe that'll be Emerson.
1: <laughs> Maybe. Your <laughs> son. Maybe my son who loves ancient Egypt.
2: Ancient Egypt. We'll see
1: if it, it sticks. It. He's only five, so we'll see.
2: <laughs> I think it will. <laughs> if,
3: with, with his determination? We'll see. Mm-hmm, I think <laughs> it might just happen. Well, you know, I, I titled this, Circumstances Were Very Bad. And, and as if you really let yourself delve into what is going on here in the beginning of the book of Exodus, I can't even imagine the turmoil and the horrible circumstances that the Hebrews lived in in this time period in the Exodus. You have Pharaoh who is telling the two Hebrew midwives that on the birthing stool, If the Hebrew woman gives birth to a daughter, that's fine, she can live. But if she gives birth to a son, you're to kill him on the spot. I can't even imagine that. Even putting those midwives who their whole lives are committed to bringing life into the world and and would be rejoicing that life does come into the world because uh, the birthing process in those times were, were very precarious to begin with. But they disobeyed uh, Pharaoh, and you can read about that in Exodus chapter one and went back with excuses to him of why it wasn't happening. And so then he commanded all his people saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save. And so what becomes this, a moment of joy for Jochebed when she gives birth, and it's to a healthy baby, it's to a boy, and you can—I can only imagine the devastation that she would feel in this moment of of being uh, uh, bringing a child, a healthy child, into the world, and recognizing that it's not a little girl. That you have been commanded, and the people have been commanded that this life. This precious life has to end. And she makes a determination. She and her husband, of course, they would have had to do this in joint agreement with the family also. She also had a son and, and a daughter. Uh, we know later on Aaron and Miriam, uh, she decides, she tries to hide him for three months, but all of us who know and have been around babies, it gets harder and harder to hide them because of the sounds that they make and things that go on and she had to get to a point where she had to make a decision and what a decision that very river where they were throwing children in to drown and to kill she made and prepared a little boat and daubed it with asphalt and pitch to make sure that it wouldn't leak and she set him in the reeds of this river and set her daughter there to watch. All of these circumstances, my goodness, that surround this life of this precious one and this woman and the decisions and her husband and family that they would have to make. What's my point today? God had a plan. God had a plan. And Jochebed looked at this situation and decided that God had given life and that she would sustain that life as long as she could. She would make every effort that she could to sustain this life. And she had to put her trust and dependence upon God, especially when she put that little boy, that little baby, in the boat, in the reeds. God is with us in our difficult circumstances. When we follow God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we come to Him with our difficulties, even the things that seem impossible, God can make a way. And we need to learn and trust to depend on God. And it's an easy thing to say And it's a hard thing to live but let me encourage you today whatever spot that you're in right now cling to god come to him and lean acknowledge him in every way and he will direct your paths we are not smart enough to figure it out but god knows god has the future in his hands and he can give you the right path to walk on trust and lean on god as jochebed and amram did for their son Moses and look where that led in the future.
0: Today, we pray, Lord, help me to change my life to follow you. and That's unique. So my life has to shift and change so that I can follow you instead of following all these other things. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna remind you that if you need to see or want an answer to some of your questions, we do a series called Ask the Pastor on YouTube. Go to Pastor Rod Hembry, and you'll find it and subscribe to it.